From Georgetown University, this is Seeking Peace. I'm Milan Verveer. This season, we are collaborating with the United Nations Department of Peace Operations and Our Secure Future to explore women's roles in bringing lasting peace to communities. Whether it be through grassroots activism, in peace negotiations, journalism, politics, or as uniformed peacekeepers. I like to compare it to kind of when in the Matrix, where Neo sees the Matrix for what it is for the very first time, sort of sees the code, sees the binary, and that's kind of how once you see it, you can't unsee it. This is Dr. Nagel. He's a research fellow at the Georgetown Institute for Women, Peace, and Security. He's talking about a class he took while studying for his master's degree, a class on international security through a feminist lens. And it made him realize he couldn't research and understand international peace and security any other way. His research focuses on women in peace operations, women in national militaries, conflict-related sexual violence, and the role of masculinity in these contexts. But first, what is peacekeeping? We've been talking a lot about peace building this season, about the role women play in their communities, in implementing peace agreements, and in politics. Peace building and peacekeeping overlap, but they're not the same thing. Today's multinational peacekeeping operations are called upon not only to maintain peace and security, but also to protect civilians, facilitate the political process, and to protect and promote human rights. They also support the organization of elections, assist in restoring the rule of law, and support the reform of the criminal justice system from law enforcement all the way to corrections. Today, we're speaking with two women about how their work in peacekeeping defies traditional gender roles. One works within the corrections component and the other with the UN military. In all fields of peacekeeping, women peacekeepers have proven that they can perform the same roles to the same standards and under the same difficult conditions as their male counterparts. Almost 30 years ago, women made up 1% of all deployed uniform peacekeepers. As of this year, in 2022, women made up nearly 6% of military troops. Just over 20% of military officers and 30% of police officers. And women now make up 42% of justice and corrections government-provided personnel in UN peacekeeping missions. While there's been progress on the number of women uniformed officers, rank-and-file military and police personnel are still male-dominated. Dr. Nagel told us about why this might be the case. There are different sort of obstacles. There are ideological obstacles where we see some countries basically flat out saying, this is not what women should do, <laughs> and have a very patriarchal, masculinist, protectionist attitude, uh, saying, 
women should not be involved in peacekeeping operations because these are combat operations and women shouldn't serve in combat operations. And another obstacle we see is that some troop contributing countries might be willing to supply women to peacekeeping operations, but their own national militaries don't actually have enough women because they're not an attractive employer um, for a range of reasons, whether that's family policies, uh, whether that's, you know, salary, (laughs) whether that's career prospects, or because it's a deeply masculine organization that just is not welcoming to women in many cases. These are just some of the obstacles that prevent women from meaningfully participating in all aspects of peacekeeping. But work must continue. Gender equality is at the heart of the United Nations values, and therefore women should have the same opportunities as men to contribute. Also, it can't be emphasized enough. Women's participation is essential for several reasons including that they help the UN better represent the communities it serves, and they serve as role models for women and girls, that they bring diverse backgrounds and experiences to all peacekeeping functions, and that their perspective is critical to addressing the needs of women in conflict and in post-conflict settings. But gender equality in peacekeeping won't be achieved just by increasing the number of women deployed. It requires building work environments that are safe, respectful, and inclusive, where women have equal opportunities to thrive, and peacekeepers at all levels have the right behaviors and mindsets to contribute to this change. Our first interviewee received the UN's first Trailblazer Award for Women, Justice, and Corrections Officers in 2022. Her role is one usually held by men in corrections, a deeply masculine organization, as Dr. Nagel put it. A peacekeeper with the UN mission in the Central African Republic, known as MINUSCA, Tene Maimuna Zungrana, leads the rapid intervention activities in the Nicaragua prison in the Central African Republic. The largest in the country, this high-security detention center is located in the capital city of Bangui and hosts just over 1,300 male inmates. Our conversation with Maimuna was conducted at the UN headquarters in New York City by Sophie Boudreau, a UN peacekeeping communicator. Sophie spoke to Maimuna about her work, her award, and the skills she employs as a peacekeeper in a male-dominated field. This interview was originally conducted in French. Maimuna's responses have been translated for our audience. At the prison, we work alongside national corrections personnel of the Central African Republic. We show our national colleagues good prison practices and techniques through rapid intervention techniques to deal with possible incidents when they occur or to prevent incidents from happening. 
such as uh, how to behave when it comes to generalized mutiny, hostage takings and intrusions, and above all, how to reconcile the security aspects with the protection of human rights, since these are people. We are not there to apply force to the person, but we are there to protect the person. We protect both the person who wants to harm others and protect those people from this person. So we have double the work of security, the protection of both persons. Maimuna says she draws on her strengths as a woman for this role. As the main trainer and coordinator of rapid intervention activities, she and her team of officers support national prison staff in incident and crisis management. Maimuna is responsible for introducing rapid intervention training modules into the national curriculum of the Central African Prison Administration. Women are able to respond to complex situations, to make an effective contribution that can solve and bring a positive impact, and to solve problems that some people find difficult to solve. It is therefore of paramount importance that we be able to strengthen and bring in more women who can contribute to the maintenance of peace operations in the various countries. Often, positions in security are seen as synonymous with being tough or hypermasculine. Dr. Nagel told us about how masculinity has dominated these environments. The idea that male peacekeepers have about themselves and their roles, and it's often tied to a warrior identity because they're soldiers, they're in uniform, and so they see themselves as warriors and soldiers first. And that's intertwined with ideas about honor and strength and power, and those then become intertwined with sort of their masculine identity uh, and the mission structure overall. And so it can be really difficult for women to break into that because they then have to prove their strength, their power, their sort of masculine qualities, um, rather than saying, okay, peacekeeping is about something else. (laughs) Sophie asked Maimuna how she arrives at solutions that defy these characteristics and what it's like to work in such an intense, male-dominated environment. In my intervention, security, and training work, there is a strength that I have, which is listening. I listen more to those around me, whether it's women or men. This is what makes my collaborators and colleagues trust me more. And together we manage to carry out joint actions and set up projects that have an impact on what we have as a mandate. As a woman in a male-dominated environment, it has never been easy. We are in an environment where there are different people, and it is normal that some people can't accept being commanded or led only by women. And that's normal. There is a way that they used to maybe say, No, I don't want to be bossed around by a woman. But we are using means of communication, 
awareness raising, training to try to get these men to leave a little room for the women in the framework of our activities and what is being done now. Force has never succeeded in making things happen. We need a strategy that can involve everyone and that women can play their role fully as well. And uh, in this context, I have also asked my female colleagues not to be reserved. We should not put ourselves aside. We must always persevere with the knowledge we have and show men that what they are capable of doing, we, as women, have the necessary skills to also play a full role in areas that have long been considered a male domain. Maimuna is not only persevering in this role, but redefining what peacekeeping can be. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more incredible peace builders right after this. Conflicts don't just get resolved on their own. Most go through a grueling process of give and take, usually behind closed doors. The Negotiators, a podcast from Doha Debates and Foreign Policy, puts listeners in the rooms of some of the world's most challenging negotiations. From a nuclear arms deal with Russia to a hostage release negotiated by the hostage himself, each episode features one mediator telling one dramatic story. Season two of The Negotiators is out now. Follow and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Nagel emphasizes that being a woman does not inherently mean someone becomes a better peacekeeper. This essentialist logic is often used but is faulty. It can result in an additional burden on women in uniform to do more than is expected of men. But in his research, Dr. Nagel found that this logic does influence local gender norms and expectations. People felt more comfortable talking to women about incidents of sexual violence, for example. Or community outreach was more successful when conducted by mixed teams because they were perceived as less threatening. One question I basically asked all participants was, what is the most important skill for a peacekeeper? And without a doubt, all of them said communication. Communication skills are the most important skills you can have because a lot of it is just about de-escalating tensions. And, and communication skills are not inherently gendered, right? The bigger question I think sometimes is uh, about what are the arguments on a political level to convince troop contributing countries to increase women's meaningful participation. Some of Dr. Nagel's research has been on the effectiveness of peacekeeping operations when more women participate. But it's important to be clear about what we mean by effectiveness. And Dr. Nagel says that's not so easy. Defining and measuring peacekeeping effectiveness is really, really challenging. Um, there are different approaches. The quantitative ones have shown peacekeeping is really good at reducing battle-related deaths. But if we dig deeper into the qualitative side of things and listening to local communities, the picture becomes more complex. 
Someone like Colonel Stephanie J. Tutton is in a position to influence military peacekeeping on the ground. She is currently the Chief of Policy and Doctrine in the United Nations Office of Military Affairs. So when I think of peacekeeping in context of what I do on a day-to-day basis, I'm one of the building blocks at the very, very bottom. Doctrine is not always easy to write. It's very technical, and sometimes it's when you put it on paper, it seems black and white, but we have to write it in such a way that it can be used, interpreted, and then implemented on the ground with our peacekeeping troops that are working with host nations, with vulnerable parts of the population. The level of coordination this requires is the result of a lot of skill and experience, both of which Colonel Tutton has built over the course of a long career and with a lot of perseverance. Colonel Tutton started her career as a U.S. Military Academy recruit, and then she was commissioned as a field artillery lieutenant in 1991. There were only 21 women in field artillery at the time, and it's one of the largest U.S. Army branches. Breaking gender barriers, Colonel Tutton says, has been difficult. She tries wherever she can to help more women get the training and experiences they need to occupy these roles. So about 10 years, 11 years into my career, I I actively tried to look at where I could open up space for women who were younger than me or maybe a rank below me to help them gain the experience of talking in front of an entire group or the confidence that they were to be heard and they were to be respected. Um, not always easy, um, but there were some times when I said, uh, excuse me, sir, aren't, didn't you just repeat what my colleague over here just said? In a way, Colonel Tutton was also signaling to the other men in the room to be more thoughtful in giving credit to the women on the team. This is partially because of her own experiences. As a woman, my voice is higher than men, and when I would call to the gun line, they knew there was a woman on the other end of the, of the radio, and the gun line didn't fire. So I handed my, my fire data to my male colleague that was sitting next to me, and I asked him to call in my fire commands. And the gun line did fire for him. And the funny thing was, we actually hit the target. So there was a little bit of a change in my perspective to to know that I had to figure out how to get my ideas across, even though I was a woman. But that showed me that I was competent in what I was doing because those fire commands were mine, calculated by me, and we were able to hit the target. So that was a, a very early um, experience that I had. And I think I I somewhere remembered that throughout um, my leadership training, throughout the, the schools that the Army sent me to. And as I, as I worked and mentored uh, others, as I, as I was able to be promoted, um, you know, grew in my career, I, I think I remember that. And I tried to include that in some of the mentoring and in some of the training that I did along the way. I think that highlighting, I think things like this, highlighting women, having women instructors, um, giving giving our young 
lieutenants, captains, our young peacekeepers, even if they're young civilians in the United Nations system, the opportunity to see women in these different positions um, is huge because it's something to aspire to. As a young lieutenant in the field artillery, when I looked at the general officers that I wanted to become, because everyone wants to become a general officer, they were all men. And I, there was a part of me that couldn't see me, couldn't see myself in that role because there were no women. I didn't know what that looked like. Colonel Tutton told us that seeking out examples of women in these positions was incredibly helpful for her, but it's only part of it. We need men who can come in and speak to this. I was the command group advisor out in Minusma. Um, so I, I was a direct report to the force commander. And he did a fantastic, I thought he did a fantastic job um, deferring to me. And when I say that, there's one rule in the military, well, there's a lot of rules in the military, but there's there's one um, that we all kind of inherently know that when the, the general speaks, the meeting is finished. And there have, there were numerous times in Minusma when the force commander would speak, he would give his guidance, and then he would look at me and say, have I missed anything? He was deferring to me because he trusted me. Secondly, because I was his command group advisor, and the second order effect was it was a woman, which had real no bearing on why he asked me, but it was a visual example. But I, I don't think that that's yet the norm. I think there is still a bit where women have to prove themselves competent instead of being assumed competent, but I think there are still some good commanders out there who have the right mindset, who see it the right way. Here, Colonel Tutton is speaking to something Dr. Nagel mentioned earlier, the changes required for more women to participate in non-traditional peacekeeping roles. It is primarily about political will, and that has to come and has to be championed from the top, because you could be a, a soldier in the armed forces of your national military and you could advocate for yourself and other women to go on peacekeeping missions if your battalion commander doesn't agree if your general doesn't agree if your defense minister doesn't agree you're not going <laughs> right and so i think it really has to be when it comes to women's participation on the formal side on the military, police, peacekeeping side, it has to be top-down. And that's where we really need male allies, male champions to push that and support that. And so I think we have to go beyond it's the smart thing, um, it's the more effective thing. I don't think that's enough. It really has to be also about it is the right thing. It is the just thing. Stay tuned for our next episode. Next week, we'll explore the role women play in leadership with the Deputy Chief of Military Affairs at the UN, General Maureen O'Brien. 
The third season of Seeking Peace is a production of Georgetown University's Institute for Women, Peace, and Security in partnership with the UN Department of Peace Operations and Our Secure Future. It is produced by Wonder Media Network. Special thanks to voiceover artist Shola Adisa Farrar. If you like what you've heard, please share it far and wide. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening app or at seekingpeacepodcast.com. <laughs>